A reading from God's Word. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. A number of years ago, uh, I got home for the day before Mary Ann did, and I checked the mail, and I opened the mail, and one thing I saw in the mail was a, a postcard and an envelope that, that told me that we had won a free, all-expenses-paid, seven-day cruise in the Caribbean. Now, I consider myself a fairly smart, well-educated uh, adult, but this looked real to me, guys. Um, I looked through the fine print, seemed legit. I, uh, I went to the website they listed on the postcard and it seemed legit. I, I studied it. I surveyed it. I, I think I probably prayed about it and, and it seemed legit. I, I had convinced myself after a few minutes, we were, we were going on a cruise. It was free. We needed a cruise after all that God was finally rewarding me for all my obedience to him. My heart began to say. So I start daydreaming, daydreaming about the cruise and, and planning the trip and, and how lucky we were. A free trip. We'd won. We, we needed that trip. And, and then Marianne got home and uh, she noticed my excitement. I couldn't contain it. I said, honey, we, we want a free cruise. Look at this postcard. We're going on a trip to get together. And listen, I, I've looked into it and it's legit. Marianne's response, honey, it's legit. Luke, it's not legit. It's, it's legit, honey. Luke, it's a scam. No way. This is a scam, Marianne. I've, I've checked into it. Luke, Marianne says, you've been had. It's, it's not legit. Go Google it. And so I went and Googled it and it wasn't legit. It wasn't legit. We weren't going on a cruise. I'd been scammed. 
And lest you be too quick to judge me today, brothers and sisters, it's possible to be deceived. It's possible to be self-deceived, even especially when, when your heart really wants to believe in something. And, and listen, you, you know what the problem is with self-deception, right? You don't know that you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. And, and in our Christian journey, sin loves to scam us. It loves to deceive us in obviously a much more significant and fundamental way than I was scammed by that postcard or maybe than we have been scammed by something we see on social media or whatever. Sin is deceiving. The devil, the Bible tells us, is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning and he works with our flesh to provoke us to believing things that aren't true. He likes to trick us. He likes to deceive us. The author of this letter to the Hebrews tells us in verse 13 of this chapter that the deceitfulness of sin has power. It has the power to harden our hearts. So this text, well, it's a warning. And it's also an admonition, an encouragement against one very significant thing that any of us could fall prey to. And that is this, a hard heart. This is a a, a passage that warns us against the seductive, deceitful voice of sin. Jesus Christ right now wants us to hear him as he speaks. He's kindly, lovingly seeking us out and speaking to us today. And he asks us to listen, to to consider him as we saw in verse 1 of chapter 3. So let's pray that that we can do that together this morning. So far, um, Hebrews has so beautifully, so wonderfully taught us, hasn't it? That, That Jesus is worth listening to. He is God's unique and final word. He is God's benediction, his good word to us. And Jesus is is superior to all else, to any person or ruler or angel. So as Will taught us last week in verse 1 of chapter 3, the author says we should consider Jesus, the the apostle and, and the high priest of our confession. Will told us that that Jesus is faithful to us. That's what the first part of chapter 3 says. And when we're reliant on him in faith, our our lives are filled with hope. And one of the things I love most about this sermon letter is that the author of Hebrews is, is not at all interested in theological abstractions. He's not at all interested, and the Lord inspired this letter to be written because the Lord is not at all interested in you just having a little intellectual game with yourself this morning in your head as you hear these words. No, the superiority of Jesus, which is what Hebrews has taught us, is not just an intellectual category for you and for I to deem credible or not and then to move on. The superiority of Jesus has real-life ramifications. We must consider Jesus. We must rely on Jesus. We must help each other trust Jesus, the author says, or we're going to become hard-hearted. That's what these verses are about. So I want to divide them into two big points for you, for our instruction today, as we consider to learn from this great 
biblical book. First, the danger of a hard heart. And then second, the perseverance of faith. Okay, the danger of a hard heart, the perseverance of faith. So first then, the danger of a hard heart. If you'll look back at verse 6 of chapter 3, Will taught on this last week. And that verse concludes by asking us to hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. We're uh, to look to Jesus in faith. We're to gaze on the beauty of Jesus's great faithfulness to us. And as we do that, we experience in our lives the change, the transformation that the gospel offers. And, And here's the thing. This considering Jesus... What Will talked about last week, this this holding fast our confidence is not a one-time past experience. Let me say, it's not only a one-time past experience. Rather, considering Jesus, holding fast our confidence, relying on the faithfulness of Jesus to us for our hope is an ongoing reality in the life of the Christ follower. The life of faith. The way of Jesus is not static. It's not stayed. It is dynamic. It is active. That's why in verse 12 of chapter 3, we see another command, a a directive from this author writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says. He says, take care, brothers and sisters. Take care. That can be translated, watch out. See to it. And it's very, very crucial for us to understand that this command is written to Christians. It's written to believers. This book is addressed to Jewish Christians. In verse 1, the author calls them holy brothers and sisters. And in verse 12, again, brothers and sisters. The author of Hebrews, like any good preacher pastor, wants to encourage Those in the faith, while at the same time challenging and warning and admonishing them. And and what his admonishment is, functionally, is this. The Christian life cannot be lived on autopilot. Listen, the Christian life cannot be lived on autopilot. I've I've learned in my years here ministering uh, in a city with many who serve in the U.S. Air Force and many pilots that, that some of you pilots, um, on commercial flights at least, uh, fly on autopilot. In fact, I've, I've learned that it's computers about 99% of the time that are flying the plane. So I wonder, what are you guys good for after robbing? What are y'all doing the whole time? Reading a book, having coffee, who knows? Uh, thank God, seriously, for, for that kind of technology. That's a good thing. But, but when things don't go as planned, the human pilot still has to take over. In fact, the majority of pilot training is for when things go wrong. It's, it's troubleshooting. Now listen, the danger that all of us are prone to and exposed to in the Christian journey is to falsely believe that we can follow Jesus on autopilot. But we can't. It's not like flying a commercial airliner. The author of Hebrews says we have to, on the other hand, keep watch. We have to take care. Why? Well, look at verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, unless there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the issue that we have to watch over, the part of us that we have to take care of is the heart. It's possible For those who profess faith to fall into hard-heartedness, 
I mean, look at how often these verses address the heart. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 10, they always go astray in their heart. Verse 12, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. Verse 15, do not harden your heart. And finally, verse 19, they were unable to enter because of unbelief, which is an issue of the heart. What is the heart? Your heart is the real you. It's the control center of our lives. It is where God by his spirit is either active and honored or where sin has made inroads and bound you up in its chains. And that's the reason the author gives an illustration in verses 7 through 11 of hard-heartedness. An example from the Old Testament. He quotes from Psalm 95 in chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. And Psalm 95 is itself a poetic reflection on Exodus 17. That story is probably one that you're familiar with. Israel has been rescued out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt through these mighty, incredible acts of Yahweh. And, and they've come out of Egypt having described, the, seen the, the wet Red Sea part and having witnessed God destroy the Egyptian army. And God is leading them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They've been delivered through no effort on their part. Solely by God's powerful hand have they been rescued. And Moses leads them out of Egypt into the wilderness on their way to the land God had promised their forefathers. And what does Israel do in the wilderness? Verse 8 tells us, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. They rebelled. The rebellion there refers to when Israelites, the Israelites became thirsty on their trip because, you know, they're in the desert and they're thirsty. And, And what they do when they became thirsty is they began to complain. They, they begin to grumble against God through Moses. They'd say, give us water, Moses. At least back in Egypt, we had water to drink. Why did God bring us out here so we can die of thirst? In verse 5 of Exodus 17, they say to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The author of Hebrews uses that story as an example of a hard heart. A hard heart is an ongoing refusal to trust God's care. An ongoing refusal to trust in God's goodness, even and especially after you've seen it displayed powerfully in your life. It's a doubting that that God is with you, that God is for you, and a resultant life of grumbling, complaining, and bitterness. That was the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness, excuse me. And, and the author is saying that can be your experience. If you fall into hard-heartedness, if you don't take care, if you don't watch out in your life. And, and here's why a hard heart is so dangerous. The Israelites were hard-hearted and they didn't even know it. They were self-deceived. And the same thing can be true of us now. Verse 13, we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceit, sin's lying power leads to hard hearts full of grumbling and bitterness, not thanking God for his gifts. 
One of my favorite books is Lonesome Dove, maybe the great Texan Western, greatest Texas Western book written by Larry, Larry McMurtry. And uh, in, the, in the book, there's a character named Jake Spoon. And Jake Spoon used to be a Texas Ranger with the two main characters, Gus and Cal, Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones, for those of you that have seen the miniseries. Unbelievable. Violent, but unbelievable miniseries. And uh, Jake Spoon shares many of the same strengths as these two other Texas Rangers do, but throughout the, the book he's portrayed as, you know, having a weak moral fiber. And as um, the former Texas Rangers take their herd from South Texas all the way up to Montana, Jake Spoon is separated from the rest of the group as they make their way north. And, and he falls in with a group of just sort of roving, wandering thieves and, and murderers. And as McMurray tells, excuse me, McMurtry tells the story, uh, Spoon just kind of passively watches these men commit acts of vandalism, acts of theft, and, and even murder. He watches them kill five people on the road and, and steal their horses. And Gus and Call and their pack of men see what has happened, and they, and they chase these men down, and, and they find him them. And, and as former Texas Rangers, they execute justice. They, they hang each of these men. But before they, they hang their old friend and comrade, Jake Spoon. Jake is seated on his horse with the noose tied around his neck. neck and, and as they're tying him up, they, he says to them, you don't need to tie me up, Gus. You know me. I was going to leave these boys the first chance I got. Gus replies, a man that will go along with five killings is taking his leave a little slow. Somewhere, somehow, Jake you crossed the line. And then Jake's final words are this. I didn't see no line, Gus. I didn't see no line. That's, that's what sin does. Sin deceives you so that you can't see no line. Maybe your heart has been hardened. And you don't even know it. Maybe you're being deceived by sin. Maybe you can't see no line. You often feel very angry at the way your life has gone. And it's really damaged your intimacy with God. Your immediate and constant reaction to life's inevitable surprises is frustration or, or rage. You're an angry person and you don't even know it. Maybe you see someone else's life on Facebook or on Instagram and your heart grumbles and complains, why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? Why don't I look like that? You live a life of, of constant comparison and competition with people that you call, quote, friends. You're bitter and, and envious and you don't even know it. Maybe you can't allow yourself to be seen as weak so you don't really take advice. You don't really listen to anyone else when it comes to life's decisions. You do your own research. You make all your own choices. You're proud. And you don't even know it. Maybe you believe deep down that you deserve every penny that you've earned. 
because you work hard after all. You're dedicated to your craft or your trade. And so you use your money to reward yourself. A bigger retirement account, more vacations, etc., etc., etc. You're greedy. And you don't even know it. You know, as we age, we often see people towards the end of life. I know some of our family stories are marred with these experiences. You see people towards the end of life and you think that is some kind of just grumpy, mean, shriveled old heart in that person. And here's what this text is telling you. They don't know they're like that. It's the result you see of years, of decades, of the deceit of sin leading to hard-heartedness. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's the warning. To consider the dangers of a hard heart. So how? How do we take care? How do we stay the course? How do we keep our hearts attentive to the Lord? Let's look at that second. The perseverance of faith. The author of Hebrews, wonderfully, wonderfully, in this text and throughout the book, gives us ways out of hard-heartedness. I want to just show you two as we close up this morning. Two ways to persevere in the faith. Here's the first. One way is to regularly look at Jesus and then look at yourself. To regularly look at Jesus and then look at yourself. Let me explain. Look at verse 14. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What this verse is saying is that Jesus Christ is with us. Literally, it means we are partakers. We're we're partners of Christ in the same way that Moses led Israel in the desert. Jesus, who we saw last week, is superior to Moses, now leads us. We journey with Jesus Christ. And the text says we must continue to walk with him. That's the idea behind the second part of that verse. Notice the conditional clause there. If, if we hold our original confidence... To the end. Now, this is not teaching salvation by works or by effort. The author is not saying, Jesus saved you at the beginning, now it is up to you. That's just not true. That would contradict many other passages of the Bible specifically and the whole thread of the Bible in general. But the text is saying that when someone has encountered Jesus Christ in a real way, that encounter has ongoing ramifications and implications in their, prior, in their future life. In other words, we avoid a hard heart by continuing to believe the gospel. That's how we persevere. Faith, listen, faith is not just a one-time past experience. That's one of the great evils of our evangelical Christian world today is for you to believe that because you walked down an aisle or because you signed a card or because you went to a revival and said, I follow Jesus now, I believe the gospel, that whatever else you do in the future has no meaning and isn't relevant and doesn't affect your standing and your maturity and your, your ability to know and believe in the grace of God. That's, that's just not the case. Faith is active and dynamic, and it requires that we continue to believe the gospel. Faith is an ongoing application of the gospel of Jesus to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews says we can't presume upon what's happened to us in the past. That was the mistake Israel made. 
That's what he says in verses 16 through 19. Rather, faith is a matter of daily reliance, of repentance and faith. It's a daily considering Jesus, as Will said last week, and then renewing and reviewing our own hearts. What does it mean to avoid a hard heart? It means that today, (laughs) as long as it's called today, you need to rejoice in the gospel and rest in the gospel and hear the gospel on any day that's called today, according to Hebrews chapter 3. What does it mean to avoid hard-heartedness? It means that you are encountering Jesus Christ in his love, in his mercy, and in his kindness to you as he's revealed himself in the gospel. Are, are you doing that? I believe this text, the Holy Spirit through this text, is, is challenging us and asking us to consider it. Practically, are you considering Jesus and reviewing yourself? If you're doing that, And to do that, I'm convinced you you just have to build time with the Lord into your regular days and and weeks. You, You have to find some space to examine your heart. Friends, is your heart believing or not? Is your heart believing or not? Do you believe right now or not? Here's some actions that don't require that don't require any review of oneself. Showering, getting dressed, tying your shoes, waking others up if you wake others up, making breakfast, drinking coffee, texting, emailing, driving to work, small talk, repairs, bill paying, going to lunch, making dinner, Watching Netflix slash Hulu slash Amazon Prime slash Disney Plus slash whatever else. Gaming, weekend sports, weekend projects, weekend travel, hobbies, sleep. None of these require that you ever stop and say, who am I if Jesus is who he is? Maybe that concerns you a bit. Because I just described much of our our modern lives. Where does intentional devotion with Jesus, intentional confession, intentional worship happen in your life? If the answer is nowhere, your heart will deceive you. Your heart will fool you. We have to carve out time to practice the way of Jesus. But we need even more than that. More help that the Holy Spirit gives us. So let's look at what that is The first way we avoid hard-heartedness is through regular considering Jesus and reviewing self. The second way the author gives in verse 13, look there. He says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the truth, okay? And we say this all the time here. It's very redundant at Christ Church, but this is another one of those Bible texts that just teaches it. None of us can do this on our own. None of you. None of you can avoid hard-heartedness. None of you can avoid the deceit of sin. None of you can consider Jesus on your own. Yes, we must do that personally, but we, we must build in individual faith and repentance through the spiritual practices, like I've just said, but that's not enough by itself. This text says we have to have each other. The battle against sin and the devil and the flesh is so subtle that we have to have someone show us where the line is to go back to the lonesome dove 
illustration. I remember when I was in college at Baylor, I would drive home uh, to the Panhandle. It was about a six and a half hour drive. And and very often, my friends and I, usually I would go with one guy and we would leave late in the day and drive late into the night on the way home. And, and I bet some of you have had these experiences as you drive on a long straight road and you've been driving for a long time and, and you can just sort of zone out. And, and your brain, your, your mind almost starts to, starts to say to you, just close your eyes. You're tired. The wheel's straight. I mean, in your, if you're in a Tesla, this is kind of all irrelevant, right? Although I'm still a little worried about that. Um, I wasn't in a Tesla. I was in a 19... 19- 98 Nissan Stanza needed to drive. But my mind starts saying, just close your eyes for a minute. It's going to be okay. Just rest. You've earned this. But that's when my friend would say in the other ear, ear, Luke, stay awake. Let me drive. When sin screams in one ear, we have to have someone else speaking into the other. Do you have anyone in your life Do you have anyone in your life who can exhort you? Do you have anyone in your life who can speak to you? And I don't just mean like who can rebuke you and call you out on stuff, although that is important as well. I mean someone that you will listen to. Someone that will help you on the road of following Jesus. It it might not be 30 people. For most of us, it's not. But you've got to have one or two, two or three people who are are able to say to you, I don't think that one more drink is going to make you happy. Who are able to say, where is that relationship going? You have to have someone who who can say to you, where has pornography ever gotten you that has made your life better? You seem to have a lot of anger. You, You know, you seem to have a grumbling spirit. Aren't you working too many hours? Are you spending too much energy on politics? Do you need to reply to every comment on your feed? Someone has to be able to tell you where the line is because our own hearts can deceive us too easily. We we have to have others in the body help us. One of the most famous pieces of advice in our culture is follow your heart. That is just horrible advice. It's horrible advice. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is likely deceiving you. You need other people to speak into your life, helping you know where the line is. You can't just listen to your heart. You have to listen to others. And and I love how the text tells us, how often do we need this? Well, we need it every day. He says, encourage each other every day, as long as it's called today. Any day you are in that is called today is a day that you need the input and the insight and the encouragement of brothers and sisters And can I say this just as we close up? Listen, COVID, man, it has done a number on us in this area. It's done a number on us. It has hurt our church and the church Catholic. People have left because of safety protocols, all those things we don't need to rehash. And I'm not trying to get into whether that's valid or not. So don't read into what I'm saying, your own views, okay? People have been isolated. People have been away from one another. And what we've seen as your elders is over time, there's fewer responses to texts. There's fewer conversations with people. There's a drifting and a drifting. And then a lot of the time, listen, a lot of the time, poof, they're gone. Some of you have been so isolated and so cut off 
maybe for good reasons and maybe not, that no one is really exhorting you regularly. There's only one place that's going to lead you to, an evil, unbelieving heart. Our elders, listen, we're praying about this. We're working and we're thinking about this. But I just want you to hear me. Don't isolate. Don't spiritually distance even when you socially distance. It is devastating and lethal. No one was made to live life alone. Sin's deceit is too strong for you to do that. And the Lord Jesus loves us so much that he invites us to look at him and look at ourselves and know that his love and kindness is there and then to hear from one another and know that his love and his kindness is there via your brother or your sister. Are you listening to the dangers of a hard heart? And are you seeking to persevere in the faith? That's what this text asks us. Jason Isbell is one of my favorite singer-songwriters. I've talked about him before. Some of you think he's too depressing. Tim Roundtree. I'll name no other names. Uh, I still think you should listen to him. And he's got one song called uh, Traveling Alone. And uh, it's a song that he wrote from the perspective uh, of a truck driver who has ended his relationship with his girlfriend and has realized how lonely he is by himself out on the road. And I think it's a great metaphor for what many of our experiences can be as Christians. Here's how the song starts. Mountains rough this time of year, close the highway down. They don't warn the town. I've been fighting second gear for 15 miles or so, trying to beat the angry snow. And I know every town worth passing through. But what good does knowing do with no one to show it to? I've grown tired of traveling alone. Tired of traveling alone. Tired of traveling alone. Won't you ride with me? Are you tired? <laughs> tired of traveling alone? Hebrews asks us to find someone to travel with. Someone here. Look, look around you. You have a community. And that this community is, is essential to avoiding a hard and deceived heart, part of the grace of Jesus in your life is not just that he saved you individually, but that he saved you into a family. Use the family. Avoid hard-heartedness. Look at Jesus and let others help. Let's pray.